0: Hey guys, welcome to the Real Quick with Mike Swick podcast, special quarantine series, episode number 12. Today's guest is a multiple-time UFC veteran, a multiple-time UFC champion, a UFC Hall of Famer, the current vice president of 1FC, 1 Championship. He also hosts the Warrior Series for 1 Championship, um, and he has a podcast, Franklin Speaking. Uh, a great guy, a guy that uh was 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 fighting during my career, a guy that I could have easily fought we were we were right there together for many years. I'm um, talking about rich ace Franklin hi right, rich franklin welcome to the show buddy
1: it's good it's good to be on the show, but man it's it's good to uh talk to you. It's been a while
0: it's been a minute as the kids say yeah
1: right. that's uh that's that the, the new way that's a new way of saying it's been a long time
0: yeah it's been a minute man so it's like yeah, yeah it's a long time man we, we were like right there together fighting in our careers and and then it's just like haven't talked to you in so long man it's crazy
1: yeah i think you and i overlapped in uh usa canada
0: yeah well three times
1: and then also 99 the, the comebacks i think I, that's when i fought vanderley the Soa. first time who did, who did you who did you fight on that card
0: I'm not sure on that card, to be honest. But I have the poster. I have nine posters in my office at AK Thailand, um, signed by all the fighters. So nine of the fifteen, and you're on three of them. So you're the, you're on uh, the ultimate fighter season finale against Shamrock. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're on the David Loazzo fight, um, yeah. and then you're, and then you're on Vandalia Silva. So we yeah. might have fought in, in another one, but definitely three for sure.
1: Yeah, but you also you also fought Loazzo, didn't you?
0: I fought Loazzo right after you.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: And that's when like I thought we were gonna fight like for sure because like you had fought Lawazo for the championship and, and and you beat him and then mm-hmm. so he was like number one contender when he fought you and then so like now he took a loss. I fought Lawazo and beat him, but then you got you know, you got obviously the championship fight. Um, then I got presented to, to kind of I think my choice was either to wait or fight in my hometown and because i I think dana asked me if i wanted to fight this guy yushin okami i had no idea who yushin okami was at the time i think it was his first fight in the ufc i just knew he was a a big strong wrestler which is not like everything about that is like what i didn't want like i didn't like big i didn't like strong and i didn't like wrestler (laughs) i was like
1: (laughs) you know i'm a big i'm a big And you fought him too yeah, I'm a big 85er, and when I when I stood next to him, and he was I mean, he was big, big, big for 185. Yeah, I just saw him again actually recently in uh, in Japan. We did yep. uh, one of my one of the One Warrior Series events. They had uh, one championship, did one century back in October, and uh, they did an entire expo the week before and all that. And so one of the One Warrior Series event that I always do, which is typically in Singapore. Uh, we did it in in Tokyo that week, and yeah. uh, and Yushin happened to be there, so it was cool just running into him. I yeah. walked backstage, and he was he was there waiting waiting for me to come out of the expo, and we got to sit down for a few minutes. So it's it's nice, man, running into some of these guys, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. and you know, shockingly, he's still big. I, I just saw him uh, New Year's Eve. We had one of one of my guys here from AK Thailand, Manel Cap fought in the main event of the New Year show, yeah. and uh, he was there. He was there with one of his fighters and. So I I just missed him. I saw him and I and I missed him because he was busy, you know, with his fighter going down the hall and stuff. So I didn't get to say hi. But yeah, he's such a nice guy too. Um, yeah. So yeah, I got offered the the Okami fight, and I was like. I mean, I I didn't want to fight him. I mean, I'm not going to turn down a fight in the UFC, obviously, but I didn't want to fight him. It wasn't like it was – I wasn't like, yes, you know, I just beat Loazzo who just fought you for the championship. Yeah, was like, I didn't want to fight a guy that, that was his first time in the UFC who could possibly hold me down or grapple me when I'm trying to knock him out, you know, and then Dana was like, well, here's the deal. It's going to be in Houston, Texas, the first big UFC in your hometown. You're the hometown boy. So I mean, what do you think now? And I was like, Oh shit, yeah, I'll fight him for sure. Like you know, I just and I just worked on takedown defense and uh, and staying on my feet. It, close fight, you know, like like I, I I pretty much thought I had him out in a second. But man, he's just he had those takedowns, man. And he got me in that third round, stayed on top of me for a good like two and a half minutes, and that was that was good enough for him. Yeah, I No, we – it.
1: Go ahead. Go, no, no, no. Go ahead. Good. Ahead. I was gonna say it was in in uh, in my, my match against him. It was funny because. Um, he was, you know, he's real tall and he's in, he's long, like he knows how to use his reach really well. And I couldn't, the game plan was not to really not take the fight down to the ground. And, uh, as I was, you know, going out there in the first, and second round, like I'm landing combinations, but nothing's really going to end the fight. And in my mind at the time, I'm like going to a decision is just not, it's not an option for me. Yeah. Right. And so at the end of the second round, I'm sitting on my stool and I said to my trainers, my trainers, like, you know, I like my coach, my boxing coach, Rob, I'll never forget. He said, man, because champ, you're looking good. You know, you're using your footwork, keep angling the way you are. Just keep sticking that jab out there. You know, just, it's like, just keep doing the same thing. And I'm listening in, in, in the middle of this and I'm sitting on my stool and I just look at him, I go, I think I'm going to take him down. And, and they're like, what? No, that's not the game plan. That's not the game plan. I said, yeah, I think I'm, and my, my coach, he literally smacks me. Like he smacks me on the forehead and he goes, stick to the game plan. He's like, you're winning this fight. And, And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll stick to the game plan. So I go out into the third round, and you know, I start initiating the the same exact game plan. And we kind of come to the center, and we end up in this clinch position, like a 50-50 over under or something. And and I thought, well, you know, I I'm not going to try to take him down, but if we end up on the ground, you know, if I happen to take him down because we ended up in this position, it's not really my fault. And about that time, he hits me with this trip. Boom. Puts me on yeah. my back.
0: That's what he got. And,
1: with. Yeah. And I was like, and then I'm, I'm on my back and I'm like, oh crap, man, my coaches are going to be so pissed at me right yeah. now because <laughs> cause I just got, I got like relaxed in this position. Like eh, if we end up on the ground, like thinking I was, yeah. And he hit me with this trip and then he was on top of me and then I was able to reverse the position. But I don't know if, if you remember that he had me in a, a really nasty, uh, yeah, arm uh, lock. yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, uh, sh- uh, um, uh, like, uh, yeah, it's I don't know yeah. why I was, I uh, have brain lapsed there, but yeah, he had me in this nasty Kimura and I, and was able to eventually fight my way out of it with about, I don't know, I don't know 45 seconds left on the clock, but I was, I was so mad, so yeah. mad at myself, the coaches were not happy with me after that match.
0: I mean, luckily so. he got the win on that and, and story, that's how he does it, man. Like, you know, I won the second round, so I started getting my momentum and especially at the end of the first round, I like knocked him down and I was like punching him as the bell rang so I'm like yeah like I'm back I, I'm you know he's got some fear in him. I'm gonna let my hands go and same thing man like we we, cl- we we met in the middle in the third round and then he got that trip or something it was like a weird takedown like a just a weird trippy like off balance I just fell to yeah. my back like an idiot and then he got on top of me and I had had an arm injury so I was trying to like like bring my my elbow into my knees and it was really difficult and he's hard to get out from anyway and and if I hadn't known this from the beginning, I would have just let him wear himself out. But what he did was he just punched me in the face for, like, two and a half minutes. And then he got completely tired. Like, I should have done that from the first round. He got, like, he got completely exhausted from punching me in the face. So, like, and I was like you. I was like, oh, I'm, like, I'm going to let my corner down, let my team down, let Houston down. You know, like, everyone's there from Houston. and And, and they were still, like, hoping I would pull it off. And then he got completely exhausted, and then I reversed him, ended up on top, and then like landed, you know, the last like thirty seconds of the fight, too little, too late. Um, yeah. But but yeah, it's exactly the same thing, man. He's he's a tough he's a he's a tough fighter to fight for all reasons because he yeah. wasn't a, he wasn't a big name, but he was tough, and he and he had things that like I wasn't used to. Whether you were or not, I wasn't used to those kind of takedowns. I'm, I'm training with wrestlers and and double yeah. legs and and, and sh- shots, and then now they have got this trippy clinchy type stuff. Um, but what you did really well, I thought was you, you secured the first round, which is very important because he's a slow starter and I kind of was filling him out in the first round. You put pressure on him and you were landing and Even if it wasn't hard, you were landing and you, and you were had octagon control and you were pushing the pace. So that yeah. like secured you, secured you round number 1 already put you ahead which I thought was really good. So that that definitely helps you helped you out for those later rounds where, you know, you could have been in more trouble or whatever. You at least got that first round out of the way and and, and took yeah. advantage of his weakness which was being slow.
1: Yeah, it's a, you know that's the kind of athlete I always was. Like we we actually in my camps oftentimes would do tor- especially towards the the later end of my career is do these drills where we worked on Really coming out of the gate faster because I'm yeah. one of those if you watch my fights like I'm just one of those guys who starts slow and just continues to pick up momentum yeah. as I go and uh, and I think like that kind of Strategy cost me cost me my win against uh, Forrest because if in my Forrest match like, and, and Forrest is such a big guy You know th- that was me realizing I'm really not because I kind of I, I was in this kind of no man's land where after I lost my title at 85 I didn't really have a home at 85 anymore and so i tried moving up to 205 and right. i had a couple of fights at 205 and a couple of fights at catch weight but then competing against Force at 205 you know i remember we, we weighed in and uh and he felt like he was the same height as me and then when we were you know as we faced off i, I can remember like almost looking him directly in the eye and then of course once he rehydrated i don't know if his spine like re, you know rehydrated as well but <laughs> it felt like he grew he taller. It, Literally felt like he grew another two inches and he came in, he came into that fight. Like I probably walked in the cage. Uh, I, I got sick before that match and lost some, lost some weight. Um, and so I, I didn't end up um, having to do much of a weight cut and I was struggling to always put weight on when I was competing at 205 anyway, because even now, I mean, I'm 10 years out of my career and I'm walking it to maybe 220 right now. And the most I ever weighed when I was fighting at two two oh five was two fifteen, so I probably walked into the cage that day against him at like 211, 212. and he walked in probably about two thirty five, and so when he was on top of me in the first round, and we we I threw like a leg kick, and we kind of it wasn't a takedown, we just kind of stumbled, and he ended up on top of me in the guard, and uh, I started to push off at first like I was going to get up, and he was so heavy, and I just thought, nah, you know what, I'll, I'll wait until uh, the ref stands us up, and I had Masagadi, and he just for like four and a half minutes man forced it and hardly land a punch and yeah. but he never stood us up and so i because i had this kind of slow style or slow starter at least in that that particular match it was a, more of a strategic decision it cost me the first round so even when you're when you're picking up the pace if you have one questionable round in a three round match it's like yeah. which is yeah. why in my in my camp we were always pushing for five round fights and yeah. so fortunately for me it was beneficial that uh like you know i ended up as a as a main event even without the title i ended up as a main event because they ended up making all the main event fights and non-title fights five round fights as well so that was good for me because the longer i was in there the more dangerous i got
0: right yeah. that's crazy so so considering i mean it wasn't like we had a, a an agreement or or any, it was ever proposed but i mean it was very likely at some point we could have fought what what would your what would your strategy have been to to beat me
1: yeah, how, there how was. There was talk-
0: what, what, what was you thinking, and what what, what what would you do to 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 take da- take me down?
1: There was. Uh, I don't know if I would have taken you down though. Um, there was talk about that at the time, and I never really. Like, I don't mean taking I, I, re- me down.
0: Like I want to clarify. I don't mean taking oh, me down yeah, yeah, like okay, literally yeah, yeah, on yeah, yeah, the yeah. ground. I mean just yeah, taking right. me out. What what was your yeah. strategy to beat me?
1: I think I we because we never got to a point where I truly assessed you as an opponent. There was talk about it, like there was all this kind of like quote close to an overlap each yeah, time, and it so, just didn't yeah. quite align. Yeah. But I can remember I can remember thinking that when when there was just the idea of it was proposed to me maybe the first time because there was like a couple times where it came up as a possibility. And so we were, you know, I mean, because obviously you got, you, you know, your nickname is Quick. So, you know, I, I remember looking at, at a couple of your fights at the time thinking like, okay, he's got good hand speed. And so I think what if, if my coaches and I were to break that down, and this is obviously like I'm, I'm years out of really assessing the film. But I probably uh, would have thought because it, w- what's interesting to me is that, you know, you ended up competing at 170. Yeah, And so you were never really in my mind, like a big, big opponent. And I thought, okay, well, what I would have to do is kind of turn this into just one of those, um, dirty boxing, grinding, pushing against the cage. Like I figured I would probably come in bigger than you and be able to push you against the cage and just, and kind of like wear the speed out of you in the first round and then and then you know move on from there like i think that's that i probably would have taken some sort of whether whether or not we went to the ground or whatever it would have just depended on where the fight went but i probably would have done that to avoid any kind of getting caught in the early seconds or something like making it that just ugly from the clinch dirty boxing kind of fight and type of thing you know something but i mean not as if you weren't dangerous in the clinch either but you get what i'm saying like i'm yeah, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm assessing your hand speed i'm like okay this is probably uh if i go this way it's at least a, a, a safer route to yeah. uh in a match so probably something like that but if you really want a real breakdown i'd have to go back and look at several of your matches
0: curious here's what i would have done but, yeah, yeah. And i was curious man that would have been the opposite for me for you too i would have avoided the ground avoided the clinch and i would have assumed you would have done exactly what you said so yeah exactly. it, would, it would have been it would have been a fight of my life to just get away from your clinch keep distance and then try to let those hands go as much as i can it, yeah. that's literally the strategy that's what, what it would have been like and just hoping i could land those combinations or land a good punch and and follow up with it um and but I, you, I you were so it, you were so good at that clinch and 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 just being dirty and unorthodox and punches coming from like weird angles and stuff yeah. so like i could have very easily caught one of those so it was like it was like, it would have been a lot to think about <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, it's
1: the same you know you, you you assess somebody and you look at them and you're like yeah it's like i i kind of figured like if I, uh, if I propose that as a, as a strategy for fighting against you, that you'd be like, yeah, we would have expected that. And I would have expected you to expect that. Right. Like, so yeah, of course. it just comes down to, we both have a game plan cause you're going to fall back to your bread and butter. And it's like, well, whoever can execute this at, at, at a more efficient level is the one that's going to end up winning. That's, that's how it always boils down to anyway.
0: Yeah. Who, who would you consider was your biggest win of your career? The big, um, the, like the time you felt like after the fight was over, you were the most proud and felt like you had accomplished the most from from your camp and from your fight.
1: Okay, so interestingly that you you, you bring this up because I was listening to um, before. Has has the Matt Sarah episode dropped? Have you released uh, that?
0: You know what? They just posted something, so now it's nighttime. I think it has. I mean, okay, we, re- we recorded it late last night oh, and, well, by, and then well, it was delayed, but I think it has.
1: Okay, by the time this drops, that one will have dropped anyway. Oh, so for it's a, sure. Man, yeah. yeah. yeah so i was listening to the conversation between you and matt sarah and um and you were talking about rememberful contact fighter yeah you mentioned in that podcast the and Joel, yeah the, the newspaper do you remember the tv show no yeah no. so there did was, i i don't i Joel, don't
0: i can't believe i would have missed it but i don't remember it
1: Joe gold uh, they did uh, they did like a it was a I think they did it was a monthly show full contact fighter and they pretty much um, covered all the all the events that were going on in the states at the time you know if you were if you were competing in the UFC it was it was just an MMA news show like a sports center for for MMA. Okay. And there were a lot of smaller organizations at that time, you know, reputable organizations in the U.S. You know, smaller ones like King of the Cage Rings was there. Monte Cox had his Extreme Challenge was where I had a lot of my matches. But um, I, I fought in um, the, the WEF, the World Extreme Fighting, I think, is what WEF, and I competed against Gary Myers. And um, Gary Myers at the time was a UFC veteran and um had i don't know if he fought once or twice but he was a veteran and i hadn't made my debut uh in the organization at that point in time and so i fought him in this event in evansville indiana and it was a big event you can go back and look at that card there was so many people on that card I mean, matt hughes was on the card uh, laverne clark there was a, a lot of laverne. a lot of big name guys we i we should actually take the time to google it just to see but anyway uh i headlined that card against Gary Myers. And at the time, I was just this kid in out of Cincinnati fighting all over the Midwest. And I wasn't even compared like skill level. I wasn't even the fighter that I ended up being like at the peak of my career. I still had a lot of development to go through, but I beat him with a third round knockout kick to the head. And I can remember coming home and a a couple weeks later, I'm watching full contact fighter. And Joe Gold is on there. And he's like, yeah, man, this kid from Cincinnati, Rich Franklin, is like, this is an impressive win over a veteran of the O.C. And, you know, this kid, I've been following this kid for a while. You need to you need to watch out for him. And he's going to make you know, he's going to he's got a future in this sport. He's going to make big waves. And I remember coming home from this match and actually listening to that and thinking suddenly it, for me, MMA went from this hobby of, you know, I'm 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 teaching high school like that, that. Yeah, you know, I drove from Cincinnati down to Evansville, Indiana. It was a few-hour drive on a – I probably drove down on a Friday and weighed in like that Friday night. And I mean how commissions and all that stuff was back in the day right. and competed on a Saturday and then drove back home Sunday and was teaching class Monday morning. Yeah, and, wow. uh, and so for me, this was just like – I was just kind of having fun at the time. But when he said that, it was the first time that I realized um, – that there were actually eyeballs on me that right. that, that you know, people were actually it, it wasn't just me doing something for fun that now I was kind of like because, you know, if if you uh, if it's just you and in your own mind, if you lose, like you can kind of like fabricate your own reasons why you lose to help, you know, yeah. save your own ego internally. Right. Yeah. But now when you got when you got people watching you, yeah. you know, and in the end, it's millions of people globally yeah. that are watching me compete. You know, suddenly you're putting your reputation on the line. For everybody to scrutinize you and I can remember this feeling that's the first time I ever felt that and I actually Had this just moment mentally where I thought about walking away from MMA completely because I, I Felt this tremendous pressure suddenly like wow people watching me compete and uh but you know I Obviously that didn't stop me um and you know long story short that was probably the, the match that really um That put me on on the map for everybody, like, because that's what kind of, um, you know, turn, turn the matchmakers at the UFC, like they kind of took note of me and all that stuff. And it wasn't long after that, that I ended up competing there that I made it onto the big stage. So that's probably one of my, one of my biggest wins. But of course that's, you know, obviously outside of, uh, of the UFC, if that's, that's what we're talking about. But yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Bittersweet, man. Yeah. I mean, that yeah, could be from anywhere, man. Just, I was just wondering what, I guess the most impactful, Fight, and it sounds like that was a big turning turning point in your career. And then to go from there to to UFC fighter to UFC champion to UFC Hall of Famer is not a bad journey. it's <laughs> you did pretty well for yourself, you know. And I, I
1: tell people all the time, like, um you know, it's it's crazy because you hear the story that I can't remember how many times I would listen to the commentary after I was done competing, and and uh, Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan would sit there, and it's like, yeah, he's a high school teacher from Cincinnati, and I would think I would say to myself, like. Don't people ever get sick of hearing this story, right? I mean, but you got to keep in mind that there are new fans tuning in yeah. every time. But it's, it's interesting because that, that story was repeated so many times that people think, oh, well, you know, I just was teaching math class one day and all of a sudden woke up and thought, I'll do this instead. Yeah. Right. And people don't realize that I started I started training like when I was in high school, all through college. And I had and then all the while that I was teaching. So I had like a 10 year runway of training uh, before before I ever got there. You know, right. um, and for me, growing up, like I, I didn't, I wasn't, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm not an amazing athlete. I know this. There are certain athletic skills I have. Like, I'm, if I was, for example, if I was a runner, I wouldn't be a hundred meter sprinter. I would probably be more like a, uh, like an 800 type of grinder. You know, like that grinding kind of sprint. Like that's what I would be suited for in, in that kind of sport. And that's the way that my style is competing as well. You know, I'm, I don't have these amazing fast twitch muscles with this huge explosiveness, which is why growing up my entire life, I was playing football uh, on this side of the planet. They call it American football, but I was playing football and I didn't have the God given talents that I needed for that sport, like the speed and, and strength and explosiveness for that kind of sport. And then, you know, martial arts found me, and it was something that, uh, you know, I just, I excelled at. And so, you know, like most boys growing up and, you know, I've dreamed of being an athlete my whole life. And then I get to live this kind of a fairy tale life of, uh, earning a championship. And, you know, the funny thing is Mike, is that when I was done competing, I always said, you know, when I'm done competing, I want to be able to travel because I, um, you know, I you get to travel a little bit. For for example, we both fought in Germany, but how much of Germany did you get to see while you were there, right? It's because right. you're so busy prepping. And so I always said, well, you know, I want to travel when I'm done. And now I travel around and I, I I recruit people and I'm and I'm going I'm flying to what in my mind as a, as a young man would have been crazy places. Like I mean, I've been to countries like Pakistan and Tajikistan and Kazakhstan even. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it's like. I, I don't know, man, God has blessed me. I've really been able to live this life that I never even would have been able to dream to happen to me when I was 13 growing up, you
0: know? Yeah, I can relate to that, man. Like I set my post career life up just how i wanted man like like to have that freedom and 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 that journey and to be able to live here build this gym and be able to do do yeah. cool things and live in a cool place so uh, going back real fast before we get to war series um so you were talking about being a teacher and stuff so like last night i, I looked up because i remember your commercial was Zion. so i looked up your commercial <laughs> That's a, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing, man. I remember, it looks a little different now than it did before, but it's amazing. And then I found mine. I posted mine on Instagram actually because it was like. A oh, did of, you? Okay. Yeah. I'll have,
1: go, I, I'll have to go back and watch it. I have it. What was the storyline on yours? I forget.
0: Mine was like I was a sensitive guy. I was in like a warehouse with like Diego and Heath Herring and Rashad and Koscheck and Forrest and 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 I was just telling a story about like you know my uh, my friend was you know all into this girl and they broke up and I was like you know the friend that's like you know what about the healing process i'm a sensitive guy and then they show clips of me like knocking knocking out gideon and and shown hour and then yeah it was it was kind of silly man it it was a lot less embarrassing and 15 years ago th- than it was watching it now so i figured i'd put on an instagram for for everybody to laugh at and and it was kind of cool seeing like uh so many guys in one room and you were kind of you were you you had your own commercial where you did that the, the teacher thing and that everybody's <laughs> like uh like, who out here is taking Zion? It's like, I'm taking Zion. You know, I, I take Zion. You know, it was so funny, man. It was, it was yeah. so funny. But I remember yeah. when I saw your commercial, I think your commercial was the first, and I, I think so. And when I remember seeing that, I was like, oh, shit, man. We're going to make it. We're going to make yeah. it in the sport, man. He's, Rich Franklin's doing commercials. I'm like, maybe we'll do another one, you know, and then and, and it's going to be on. We had that sponsorship, and like, I was excited, man. That was a turning point in my career. Yeah, I
1: think for I think for us, we end up being like um, those football players in the in the the states, like in the 1970s, that were just right before the big wave of commercials. Yeah. And because I can remember in my career that we had approached um, my management, we had approached Harley Davidson at one point in time. And when we first started talking to them, they were they were not interested at all. And it, interestingly enough, Harley ended up becoming a sponsor of, uh, the UFC, but I was in the, the, the two major corporate sponsors I had spoken to was Harley and, um, Hooters. And it would have been a big land at the time for, for me. And I'm sure probably a decimal place less than what, you know, some of these athletes are, are getting today with Nike or Under Armour, whoever they're signing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would, you know, those things helped. And of course I had invested a lot of time in, um, American fighter, my, my clothing company, yeah, which, I remember that. And and it you know it it actually you know I don't I don't want to get into the drama that whole thing but it, it, it ended up being a, a good investment but uh, you know management we made some mistakes and you know end up uh, I don't have the company anymore which is kind of a sad thing because that was my retirement plan but I passed up a lot of sponsorship dollars for that so that i could build build that company and so you know i mean but it was it was it was a different day back then man and now you i think there there are pluses and minuses to the whole thing because you see like the corporate deal that they have now with um with reebok and i you know i don't know what the rules are like i heard you you were talking about um bringing in a banner and all that were were you the first one to ever do the banner was that the thing yeah so you were the first
0: american top team was the first uh team to do a, a gym banner I was the yeah. first to, to do a sponsor banner
1: yeah so thank you
0: for that idea because <laughs> so it was a know, few of us but I yeah I, it exactly was, it was like Bob Cook John Fitch everybody kind of had formed the idea together I was just the first crazy ass who decided to take my chances putting it. and it wasn't a like regulation banner it was like eight feet long and stuff so uh, like uh, I was the first crazy dude to like decide to drop an eight foot banner right in front of Dana who's sitting right right literally right behind me so like I'll take credit for that. But yeah, it was it was a, it was like a group effort on coming up with the idea. But man, God, the money that's made, if I got a residual off that of every yeah. fight banner since then, I'd be living like I'd be a billionaire, man.
1: Yeah, exactly. you should have because uh, I, I thank you for the <laughs> obvious, you know, for the idea. On behalf of all the athletes out there <laughs> thank that are that even even in one championship today, you see guys doing it. And yeah, uh, and so that that stemmed and that from helps you, you changed. Man. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, I mean, that's, these guys that's need this how, money. Heck yeah, they do, and that's how I, especially to you know, towards the beginning of my career before, because it takes you know it takes time to get to the top of that mountain, right? Like you have to sign those, if you want to call them crappy contracts, like you have to sign those crappy contracts and yeah. where you're not making good money. You know, I made to to when I when I fought uh, Ken Shamrock, for example. Um, you know, I was that for me that that fight was uh, seven and seven, so I made fourteen. 14- Yeah, that was on. That was and that was the ultimate one fighter finale. Most people forget that uh, I actually I was the main event to that because they all remember uh, Forrest and Stefan's match, right? But um, yeah, I made I made fourteen fourteen thousand dollars to win that fight. We were five
0: and five, and and it was our first UFC fight, and we were just TV guys. That that's why the UFC fighters, most of them hated us. Yeah, exactly, man. So, you know, and, and I was after, happy as shit with five and five, but like, but like really in reality as a career, I mean, I wasn't looking at it as a career at that point, but as a career, like that's, you know, obviously that was tough.
1: Well, listen, man, I made $200 for my, for my first professional match. Like the first time I ever got paid to fight, it yeah. was 200 bucks. And I thought, holy crap, you can make money doing this. And even, yeah. even at the time where, um, where I was competing against, uh, like when I fought Ken, I was still teaching part-time in an at-risk program. I, and I, my next match was, uh, Evan Tanner for the title and I was teaching in this at risk program. I had quit teaching full time and it was, I was in this transition where I was thinking maybe I can make a career out of this, which as I think about it from, today's mindset, when I told my dad that I was quitting teaching, he thought it was nuts because I mean, it wasn't like I was telling my dad, dad, I'm going to quit teaching and go pursue a career in the NBA where at least it's an established industry. Whether my chances of making a team or not is a different story. But, but in MMA, the industry was, it was just, it wasn't there. Like the longevity of a career wasn't there. And so, you know, when you, you sign these contracts and at the time it's just like, well, you know, when I quit teaching, I thought I'm going to, take the mentality was like, let me take like a sabbatical or a leave type of thing and just have fun with this for the next year or two. Uh, And then of course things ended up working out, but the initial contracts that you sign, obviously you had to work your way up that ladder. And so it takes several years to get there. And then when you're finally making the money, your window of opportunity there is really small to make good, good money. And so fortunately for me, you know, I took my highest earning years and, and I didn't I didn't do stupid things like buy Ferraris or, or yeah. you know, really idiotic purchases. Um, and I was smart with the money that I did made so, make. So fortunately, I was able to at least put myself in a decent situation financially.
0: That's good, man. When did you make that decision? When 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 did you make that decision to be a full time fighter and have that talk with your dad? Like um, what, what, what part of your career?
1: So in in 2002, um, in in 2002, I quit. So I start my first year teaching was 98. And I taught full time for four years. And then in 02, I decided to quit, quit teaching. And I had and I decided to quit because at the time, you know, I had spent the summers. I don't really when I look back, I don't know how I don't know how I was able to do this, but I was able to put myself through school. Um, and I, you know, I didn't have scholarships. Like I had a little bit of grant money and stuff like that. Because in college, I was the the right combination between poor and smart. You know, I wasn't real smart. I wasn't like super smart, but I wasn't super poor either. But I had like the best of both worlds, okay. so I was able to get some small scholarship money. But I was able to put myself through college, earn my master's degree, train all the meanwhile, building myself, like training at a level where I'm putting myself in a position where I'm going to become a world champion one day. And so when I decided to quit teaching after four years, I had already earned my master's degree. And so I was at least certified for the next, I think, eight years. So in my mind, I thought, well, I'm going to walk away from this and and pursue this dream. But Fortunately for me, because I was educated, I always had this fallback. Like I can always go back to teaching. Little did I know that once you actually start down this path of pursuing something that you really are passionate about, there is never, there's never no going back. Yeah. It just, it can't happen. Like, I'm at a, I'm at an age now where the thought of me teaching high school is like, eh, you know, I mean, because I, I, I don't know, I have this built into me to want to help people. Right. Uh, but, um, But the thought of actually going back to a nine to five job, like uh. That's 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 the hardest part. Like having to having to report every morning. Like you got to be here at 7:45 every morning, and you will stay. I'm like, mm. my job now doesn't work that way. I mean, not not even not even considering quarantine. Like my job doesn't work that way. You know, I have I have objectives that I need to meet, and if I meet them, I can pretty much do it on my own time. So um so after my fourth year, I decided that I was going to leave teaching, and I had this talk with my dad. Now, granted, my father was a guy who just kind of screwed off in high school and he, you know, he didn't take high school seriously, ended up going back to college late in life. He and I graduated from the university of Cincinnati the same year. Like we both graduated at the same time. And so, For him, I was like this pride and joy, like this is my son, he's the only kid that I have that has gone to college, like I was the one that went and got the college degree. And now I'm coming to him going, oh hey dad, by the way, this college degree is BS and this teaching career, I don't need that. And I was just throwing everything away in his mind at the time. And, you know fortunately my dad was able to uh, he, he came out and watched me defend my title the first time against and I, was, I tell the stories like this is the best moment of my career but he saw me defend my title the, the first time in Vegas and we were out there and he was he was, uh, he was having dinner I joined him for dinner one night I was eating ice chips because I was cutting weight <laughs> and, and um, he was he was sitting there and he' was like man I'm really really proud of you for what you've not only what you've accomplished but the fact that you were uh, brave enough to pursue this. But, um, yeah, the day that I told my dad, he was like, uh, he was not having it. I I think actually if I would have said anything besides fighting or I wasn't trained to fight, my dad may have actually punched me. (laughs) Just like, no, you're not you're not you're not leaving this career. So, um, yeah, but uh, I did that. But then I was working part time in in an at risk program. So these are like kids that were, you know. Expulsion and you know girls who had gotten pregnant in high school and couldn't be in a normal classroom anymore And so I was working at this facility and I taught all the way up until about um, Two days a week two nights a week. I taught there until about a week and a half before my title fight Yeah, and then the school year ended because I I I competed against Evan. It was June 4th that year of five and so I had continued teaching from the end of 02 to 05. And, and I think like the last day of school was something like May 26 or May 28. And I was there all the way until the end. And I told I told the guy that was running the program, I, this is how confident I was. I said, hey, I said, look, I'm going to next week I got this this title fight. I'm going to win this thing. And then uh, after I win, I'm going to be a coach on the Ultimate Fighter. So uh, I'm not going to be back next year. And that's it was just like it was is sure as the sun came up this morning that that yeah. was going to happen so i know ne- after that i just the the rest is history like but even still at that point in time like i was still on my initial contract that i signed with low pay and all that kind of stuff and it takes time it took time to once i had the title to get there renegotiate and start making better money
0: yeah that's that's, that's crazy man and and i commend you on all the work you've done with kids cuz you've done a lot of stuff with kids and also on, on being so bold as to, to go full-time as a fighter before the Ultimate Fighter really kind of took it off to where, you know, the money increased and, and the popularity increased and everything. That worked out really well for you as well. Um, and do you think that, okay, so in our in our time, you know, there wasn't as many fighters. The, the athleticism, we, we were, you know, like you said, you weren't the best athlete, but we all weren't the best athletes. But we we had that mentality. Fighting is 90 percent, you know, obviously mental and and that fortitude. And we were real fighters for sure. Do you oh, yeah. feel? Do you feel that like? Do you feel that you were ahead of your time in the fact that that you would have rather fought and had your career today against what could be tougher competition and harder competition? Or were you are you happy and content that you had your career when you did? And you accomplished everything you did, and and you were the champion and everything.
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, we're getting into a lot of do it.
0: not that you yeah. couldn't do it now, but I'm just saying, obviously, it's a lot more competitive.
1: Yeah, we're get we're getting a lot of, into a lot of hypotheticals here. I, I would actually look. There are some there are some guys that um, that when I, there are some athletes that I see that compete that in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you can tell that this next generation is here um, because. I mean, I didn't start doing true MMA. I mean, I started doing BJJ when I was 18 years old, right? I mean, these guys, a lot of are 19. These guys are growing up with this stuff now. And not yeah. just BJJ, but the whole – MMA mentality. And I have ideas about training and how you should conduct camp and some of the even some of the modern training techniques I don't necessarily disagree with. And there are some athletes where I look at people and I'm like, yeah, you can tell that that's the next generation of an athlete that has had the benefit of seeing this their entire life and the the sport evolving a little bit. But at the same time, I you know, I feel like a lot of the competition is watered down because there are so many more matches nowadays that you I mean, you have so many athletes, so many cards to fill that when we were competing was when I won, when I won my title, what, what were there? Maybe like five shows, five events that year or something. And that's so five events times 10 matches per event. You're looking at 50, 50 fights. So you need 100 fighters. That's it. That's that's all all you need to fill a card. And so you're going to find the creme de la creme really quickly. Well, when you go from five events a year to 50 events a year, you Quickly have to fill this with a lot of excess fighters that, in my opinion, there are a lot of guys today that just are not of the same caliber. And you know, I also believe that if I were to fast forward my career and, and be in a modern age, but also have had the benefit of starting instead of investing my entire life playing football, right. doing MMA instead, that I would still be at at the at the, uh, the the top of the game anyway. So I don't know. I I like. I actually like the. I mean. The allure is that the potential for the amount of dollars that you could make in the, this modern world, I mean, everybody sees like the Connor, what Connor did with Floyd and making all this money in that match, and, and it's great, and you know, kudos to him, genius, that he's been able to uh, pull that off from a marketing standpoint. And the allure is that that would happen to everybody, but the one thing I like about my era is that when you know when, when I was competing for a title match, for example, if there was an event in March and my event was in June, that was it. That all, every bit of marketing went to that event. And so all you heard was my name the entire time. You know, you would just hear Rich Franklin, Rich Franklin, June 4th, Rich Franklin, June 4th, Rich Franklin. And so you, that got, that's what helped me build a solid brand. And you know, know, unfortunately for me, like I wasn't big on things like social media. Like I wasn't like really trying to build out my social media numbers. And even to this day, I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. But it did – that did allow me to build uh, a reputation at the time for not just the reputation that I had inside the ring of competition but outside. Like uh, a lot of fans know that I was a company guy. I was always there to fill if there was a last-minute dropout or, or something like that. And, uh, and my work ethic and all these kinds of things, like people knew that. And that's – honestly, it's, it's that – That is what got me to where I am today, like why I have the job that I have, because people know like, you know, not rich is a tough guy, like not just inside the ring, but outside the ring. I work my butt off. I work hard for the the company that that, you know, for one championship and every day it it doesn't matter what I do. I'm just the kind of person that if I'm going to put whatever it is for, if I'm going to step into the cage, if I'm going to, uh, you know, do a business slideshow presentation which I don't do but if I was like I would do I would do the best presentation that I can possibly do because it's just that that champion mindset and so you know because I was able to build that brand and everybody can remember that name from that era that's what's uh, been able to get me where I am today. So I don't know if I would trade it. I mean, the allure of yeah. being able to increase my, um, lifelong earnings by two or three decimal places would be great. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I mean, everybody wants more dollars in their pocket, but no, I, um, I'm happy with it. it, it my journey, I think, uh, the, the, you know, the old days, the wild, wild west of MMA is awesome. I, I have stories of, I can tell stories of warming up in locker rooms at fairgrounds where there were chickens in the locker room. And uh, <laughs>
0: me too. I'm from Texas. You know, I mean, yeah,
1: like I like where the I, on a couple different cages, I ha- occasions I had the actual uh, cage break during yeah. competition. Yeah. Uh, you know, and <laughs> and stuff like that, and you know, shows delayed, and just um, you know, my first, one of my first amateur matches not my first one but in this little show that I was uh, competing in in Indiana the the guy who was running the show like his cousin was uh had a PhD in philosophy and that had um kind of uh fulfilled the requirements for having a doctor on hand right that was that was their that was their medical doctor was this guy <laughs> with a PhD which you know everything was going really well until I fought that night and kicked this guy in the jaw and broke his jaw in three places and they just didn't have the, you know, the medical team is safety standards and everything that they needed at the time. But I mean, you know, this is circa 1997, 1998 timeframe. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's crazy, crazy stuff. that, that And so I, I like those experiences. I, I like going from that experience to competing in, uh, I don't know, seven different countries that I competed in or something like that and yeah. seeing some really cool arenas like, uh, you know, arenas like O2 in Germany and, and whatnot, and, and headlining stuff like that to coming from where I came from. So it it makes for a, a really, really, really cool story for me. So I, I wouldn't trade it.
0: And, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, and, and a big, a big part of me asking that question, hypothetical or not, is because of that that amount of uh, attention and marketing and publicity that we got versus what the guys get today. It's really hard to be a star today because there's so many fighters and there's guys that are 4-0 in the UFC, 5-0, and that you barely know their name, you know? And for yeah. me, at my level, I was happy to be in that generation where I had the competition I had and we were fighters, we all were about the same and, and I, I excelled enough and, and, and got close enough to the title that, and got a lot of publicity, a lot of marketing, which is carrying on to my career and my business now. So I was content and happy with that. But I just wanted to ask someone like you who was a champion and a Hall of Famer and had the potential, obviously, to do so well now and, and hang with, with the new generation. So I just had to ask that question. But a okay
1: i was gonna say i don't know i don't know if it would have worked out for me because unfortunately um i'm just not that guy i'm not like i'm not an uh, i'm not an attention hog. i'm not like that hey me over here me over here the, only, the main reason why i was build it
0: build your business though
1: i know it does i know like i but at the same time i just i you know i'm just not that guy like I, just to use an analogy i learned how to play the drums like I taught, right. my, I taught, I, ta- I took some lessons. A friend of mine was teaching me how to play the drums and then I continued teaching myself how to play the drums. And from an analogous standpoint, it's the perfect interest instrument for me to play because I get to be part of the band, but I get to sit in the back and the attention isn't on the drummer. It's on the lead guitarist and the singer. Right. So it's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the scene, but I'm not really. And I, and that's kind of how I am. It's weird that the path that life takes you through, because I never, I'm not, not really the front man kind of guy and and then suddenly i'm i'm catapulted in this position where not only i mean i really see myself as one of the pillars that that the ufc built its brand on because at the time mma was not accepted in in the us i mean it was still banned in many states and so what they needed was they needed this clean cut uh you know old-fashioned good old american boy next door bring home to mom, eat your apple pie, high school math teaching kind of guy that could speak intelligently on camera. And I filled that role. I wasn't the trash talking kind of, Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. And so that's really what, what got me um, the, you know, what took me the distance and what, what built my reputation for me. I didn't have to be that trash talker. So even if I came, even if I was in this modern generation, you know, like you said, there are plenty of guys that are four and oh five and oh in several organizations that people don't even know their names. And, and you have to be that guy that's like me over here, me over here, me over here. You got to be doing some crazy stuff on social media that's going viral or whatever in, in order to get people to notice you. Otherwise you just, you fade off. And I probably, from a from a social standpoint, would have been that guy because I just every day I have to force myself to actually care about posting something on social media. And oh, I'm right. like, people sense. really, people really, do they really want to see a picture of my breakfast? And they do. They want to know what, like, what I eat, or you know, what I'm doing. Like, what is what does a guy who becomes a champion of the world eat for breakfast? I'm like, right. well, this is what I eat, and I pretty much eat it every day of my life. So, um, so You're yeah.
0: What you weighed weighed your food I remember that you were like you were like one of the first guys that I was like whoa like you were like literally had a scale and weighed your food for your fights like you took it dead serious as far as cutting weight goes I remember that
1: yeah that's the thing listen uh, you know I, I tell you now working for one championship our athletes don't they don't have to cut weight and I see a lot of them walking around during event week and they're they're eating breakfasts and they're drinking water, and I'm and I walk around. I'm like, you know what? Screw you guys. You know, I'm so yeah. I'm so I'm so angry <laughs> because weight weight cutting for me was its own event. And but you know, on the back end, I realize how bad it is for you to cut weight. Like just uh, you know, just from like like the brain is one of the last things to rehydrate. So it leaves your you know the brain cavity and the brain just sits in fluid and it just it amplifies the the effects of a concussion. Just for example, I mean, there's tons of things that you could talk about, but Um, but yeah, it's like, at least at that time, a lot of people didn't know what they were doing with the weight cut. And we were very, very, very scientific about it. I, I mean, I have nutrition journals where I wrote down how much, you know, how much water I drank that day, what supplements I was taking, how much I floated at night, sodium intake, all my macros, like everything is, everything is, is, is tracked uh handwritten tract and I have these like spiral bound journals of leading up to matches and stuff like that. And so we had this system that we followed that worked for me and my body and, and gave me uh you know gave me maximum whatever drop. Interestingly, I, I'm not a big fan, even if I was cutting weight, to drop to drop too much weight anyway. Like I would always keep my weight drops at around um for me, going down to one eighty five, like I would probably uh start like 207 208 tops and i would do i would try to keep it to 20 pounds the week of the match and i would have this systematic step-down process that i would do was you know after we did a water loading doing our water strip but um but yeah like there are a lot of guys like the mentality of, like oh well if i can cut 30 pounds or whatever and i believe that performance suffers from that if that's what you're going to do but that's a i mean that's a whole different podcast right. we could go into for days on weight
0: weight for cutting sure well, well completely not hypothetical uh would you consider fighting again? I, I want to say that I heard something, rec- not maybe recently, but maybe like several months ago of you possibly uh, wanting to fight again. Was I wrong about that or, or, or uh, did that happen? Like, is, is it possible? Could we, could we see you fight again? Okay.
1: Just so that, you know, I mean, because I know how these things go. Somebody's going to take one line out of this thing and it becomes the clickbait, right? Uh, just to ask you the hypothetical question or not, not so hypothetical, do you, you ever sit down like when you're by yourself and think like, man, it would be cool to compete again?
0: Well, I'm asking you because I heard this. So, like, I thought yeah, maybe yeah. it was like a news article. So, I thought you were really oh. serious. It's not just like I'm talking to you now from the. And, and we're both older. And do you think about it? And do you want to fight? Yeah. Like, I thought I, I thought I saw an interview or something where you mentioned it, and I was like, uh, oh wow, Rich Franklin well, might come back. Okay. So that's the yeah, only reason yeah. I'm asking you. It's not like here's, a total like. Here's here's
1: the here's the real breakdown on this whole thing. Is it 100 percent out of the question? No, not at all. I would I, I could actually be motivated to compete again if the if all the. Uh, the variables lined up, like the right kind of opponent that interested me, all that kind of stuff. What's the reality of this actually happening? Well, you know, I have, I have a job that I'm doing on this side of the planet. Now I, you know, I, I do this travel show, I recruit and I don't, I mean, I don't train that. I don't train that much. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky if I, if I get on the mat maybe twice a week. You know right. and, and I don't and I don't really do any sparring anymore just because the, the you know taking hits to the head is unnecessary at this age unless I'm actually training for something so yeah, I'll do some bad bag work and occasional uh, occasional pad work or something like that but it's you know the amount of training that I would need to do. so realistically if I was going to take a match I would probably need three to four months just to get myself back in the groove before I even entered an actual fight camp. So I'm really looking at, at stepping away from my job, my current job for probably six months. Right. um and I, you know i'm making no a mistake I'm, I'm 45 now and i can feel the effects of a almost 15 about a 15 year professional career uh you know because i had many professional fights before i actually made it to the big mm-hmm. show but uh you know i can feel the effects of a 15 year career you know things i get up in the morning i'm like oh man this i mean you, it's a, you, you, you're gonna pay, you gotta pay the cost and so so the reality is like could I be enticed to do that? Yeah, if the money was right, the opponent was right and I actually could get that runway to train, but I do realize that I'm not at a point I'm at a point in life now where I don't think I could come back and just continue a full-time career. Like it just sure. could you know, the camp after camp after camp would not, my body wouldn't be able to keep up anymore. And I know this, yeah. and yeah, this is coming from a guy who's still, I don't measure my food anymore, but I mean, you know, everything I eat is calculated. I kind of, every time I sit down, I'm like, okay, here's what I did today for my workouts. So I'm going to need this many carbohydrates that, you know, I'm looking at this much protein and, you know, like I'm mentally kind of calculating things. And, uh, and you know, i like it's just yeah i'm i'm looking this way cuz i'm looking at my kitchen I'm like yeah, yeah you know yeah, the, yeah. the moment that we get off of this 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 podcast i'm i'm going to go make myself my second meal of the day and before the, the end of the day i'll have at least five five minimum meals that are all somewhat calculated out from everything that i need from my uh, my macros and making sure i get a plethora of vitamins and minerals in my micros as well so i'm almost as bad with my nutrition, or as good as I used to be when I was competing. And of course, I mean, at 45 years old, like I look like I take care of myself. I still look the part as well. Yeah. So. And that's
0: why I uh, asked, you know? Yeah. And,
1: and the and, thing and, is. And on top of it, I still train like a madman. Like I'm still, yeah. you know, lifting and, and pushing myself. Like I, you know, I go into the gym. It's like, you know, I hear this, this would be my bragging thing. Uh, like I go into the gym and. I was um, trying to lift uh, three, like uh, deadlift, three fifteen for twenty five reps, and I was just like, you know, I'm not satisfied until I can get that. Like, I'm gonna hit this thing for twenty five reps. So, and so twenty five reps at three fifteen is part of your workout. It's just it's insane to be able to push out that kind of volume, you know, yeah. for at least for me. I mean, somebody else might be like, well, I warm up with that, whatever. But, um, but I just I don't ever go into the gym and be like, ah, you know what? Let me just like get, get a little squeeze today in my biceps. Like, oh, I did my beach muscles? I'm good to go. You know, I'm 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 in there training and pushing myself as if I was uh, as if I was getting ready for something. And not because I'm subconsciously planning on it. It's just it's the way I am. You know, there is there is no there is no oh it's time to relax. I'm you know, I'm full throttle.
0: So so A, you know, you were a good fighter. B, I do see you training a lot. Um, and see, I asked Hardy the same thing, you know, and he, he's passed, you know, his career and retired, but he really does want to come back. And he, he along the lines of what you said, you know, he's not looking for a, a championship. He's not looking for the fighting at the top. He just wants to get in there and fight somebody equal to him. And then just to have that experience, which is why I asked you. And, and, and I totally understand your answer. And, and, and again, for the fact that I, I thought I saw that article, but um, yeah, I'm not asking you to call out opponents or anything like that, but no. I, had, I had to at least ask you. Hey, everyone, I just got to thank my sponsor, aka Thailand, really fast, and I'm still going to keep this 30% special, this reopen special, open for you guys that want to come out here as soon as this quarantine is over with. Everybody's tired of the quarantine. Everybody's tired of sitting at their house. Uh, So many of you guys that have been to aka Thailand want to come back. So many of you guys that haven't been want to come, you have trips planned, you were thinking about it, you were following our social media. Um, so now you can save 30% off all group training. So you can go to the website, aka The pricing page is completely set up. You can book a week, you can book a month, you can book six months, a year, however long you want and save 30%, which will last Forever. There's no expiration date. So you can take advantage of this 30% right now, and then you can wait until your flights open up and you can actually fly to Thailand and come immediately when quarantine's over. Or you can wait a year or two years, whenever you want, you can take advantage uh, of this uh, package that you bought. As soon as you buy it, you're in our system and you stay there. Uh, If you decide that you can't go in the future, we will allow you to transfer. Just send us an email at info at akthailand.com. If you have any questions or if you want to transfer after purchase, we can transfer to anyone you want. And you can also buy training at 30% off for somebody else. Um, This special is amazing. It's the best deal we've ever had. Uh, I think it's going to help you guys out, save a little bit of money for you when you come over here after quarantine. Obviously, this uh, pandemic is giving everybody quite the financial hit uh, as well as, as health hits and and, and just uh, making everybody stir crazy. So I feel for you. I'm going to help you out as much as I can. So again, that's akthailand.com. Any questions, just email info at akthailand.com. And if you're not familiar with the, the gym uh, and what we have, here's a video for you.
1: What's up, everybody? I am here in Thailand. This is the first time I've ever been here. Been dying to come here for years. The great Mike Swick, he's one of the big reasons he's been trying to pull me down here. What he built down here, aka Thailand, is incredible. There's people
0: here from all over the world. You can train mixed martial arts here, jiu-jitsu.
1: They have weightlifting, they have cardio, and obviously they have Muay Thai, boxing, everything.
0: telling you guys i know everybody wants to go to thailand because thailand's so cool but you can't come to thailand without coming to aka thailand come on but let's talk about one fc man so you uh you're you're the vp of one fc and i and i know they brought misha over because she stopped by aka thailand on her way to singapore and she's like a VP as well. So how, how does that work with you and her? And like, what is y'all's job? Aside from the Warriors series and other stuff we can get into, what is y'all's job as the VPs, I guess, of, of One FC?
1: Well, so, you know, I mean, the thing about One Championship is that it's not, we're, it's not just an event company. Like One has kind of put themselves in a position where they're a content house. Yeah. So they're all about distributing different kinds of content. R- realistically, when I first got hired on for this company, I don't think they really knew what to do with me. Right. I mean, because right. uh, actually when I, one of the first thing, I mean, when I first got hired on a lot of it was um, me helping Matt Hume, who is our matchmaker. He handles he, he's the head of the entire uh, sports and competition team. So it was helping him with different things. And I would attend like sales meetings and just I would do, just do random things. I would give, you know, speeches for the company. And it was like I think there was like this time of like Rich is going to be a good employee. We just need to figure out how to place him in the company properly. And then, you know, initially I was working from Ohio and I was I was traveling down here working remotely. And the transit time door to door from my front door to anywhere in Southeast Asia is about 30 hours. Yeah, it's going to be worse now because the airlines are going to eliminate so many different flights. But 30 hours door to door. And in 2016, I did um, 10 trips down here. Wow. And I was like, I, I can't continue doing this. So the company had approached me about relocating down here and I thought, well, you know, I'll come down and i um, so living here in Singapore and I still go home quite a bit up mm-hmm. until uh, this current time we've had under the pandemic, but, um, but you know, I'm, I'm on this side of the planet. And so I was down here and, you know, I had, I had some initial jobs and finally Chantri, he comes to me one day and I, I mean, I was doing so many different random things for the company mm-hmm. that, um, I just, I, you know, I was just. I was barely keeping my head above water and right. he comes to me. He's like, I got this great idea and I want you to spearhead this thing. And, uh, and he kind of explains, um, you know, the, the bare bones of what the one Warrior series is. And I looked at him straight up. I was like, dude, I don't have time for that crap and I don't want to do it. So, and he just, I mean, literally, he just kind of passed me on the shoulder. He's like, you're going to do great like that. Like it was <laughs> his way. I said, like, I don't care if you want to do it or not. Yeah. And it ended up like that. So he, he, put me in charge of the uh of the, one, the warrior series. And so I, I I run this project head to toe. I lead a, a production team. I have amazing people underneath me. You know, I have a great uh executive producer and and just the the people that I work with, my co-host on the show Jonathan is awesome. He's a he's a Boston College graduate. He's smart, like sharp as attack, great business-minded guy. So, I've been blessed to to surround myself with really good people, but it's a I lead a team of about 15 people. And what this was is this was one championship's foray at the time into producing content that was not necessarily fight-based content. You know, uh, if you've seen the show, we travel around and we, we'll travel to various different places uh, and experience local cultures, local cuisine, maybe do some crazy activity, jumping off cliffs, whatever kind of thing. Uh, we were in New Zealand rock climbing one time. Like we've, I've I've done some really cool stuff like the kind of, and this is, I mean, this is the kind of vacationing that I've always dreamed of being able to do. It's not really a vacation though, because a lot of prep goes into this, but, um, yeah, but so I run this entire, this entire division. And then um, you know, with obviously it's a travel show. I recruit people. Then on top of it, we hold events. I hold live events. And those for us have been my the one Warrior series events have been closed door events, not open to the public with large audiences, but closed door events. And then everybody, all the athletes that I recruit, we travel around, tell their stories. And all the athletes that I recruit are competing for contracts for one championship. So that's the kind of the, the bare essentials of what I do for the company. And then with this, the current situation with the pandemic, you know, we had to like, I, I, I can't do a travel show right now because right. I can't travel. So fortunately we were working on this idea of, you know, creating a podcast. And essentially that's what we did with um, the newest thing I got come out now that we've, we've posted several, uh, it's a called it a video podcast on One Championship's Facebook page. We do it, we'll do them as live content and um and it's just you know cool discussions but the the video content that i post out it's a variety show so you know i have just a bunch of i have a bunch of different kinds of guests on i had uh that's
0: the franklin franklin speaking right yeah yeah i saw the surfer when you the surfer girl on yeah did you
1: did you watch her episode yeah yeah Yeah, man she's i mean she's just she's an amazing girl man and she's just uh you know she's she's super positive message and and just about overcome like per- perseverance and well, you know that girl she got her, you know for those of you who don't know like um her name's Bethany Hamilton she was uh, there was a movie about her called Soul Surfer and she had her uh, one of her arms was bitten off by a shark while she was surfing one day and and she's from Hawaii and that girl was 4 days in the hospital a 13 year old girl 4 days in the hospital having a conversation with a family friend, and the guy was like, "He this four days after four days after she lost her arm." And the guy was like, "So I was out in the the ocean today, and I tried surfing, I tried uh, paddling past the surf with one arm." He's like, "You can totally do it." And she's like, "Really?" And you can see this look <laughs> of excitement on her face. And within four weeks of uh, the accident with the shark, she was already back surfing again. And just tr- truly amazing story. But yeah, it's a variety, it's 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 a variety show essentially. So I had like. Hey, this uh, gentleman, his name's Levison Wood. He he's a, a traveler. He walked the Nile. He walked the whole length of the Nile oh, from Rwanda all the way up to Egypt. And the stories. I mean, I have a lot of stories. I've been to, I've been to about fifty-five countries at this point in my life, and which is a lot for me because I'm some kid from a small town outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Never thought that uh, I would ever really do much international travel and but this guy so i I feel like i've lived the life i feel like i've lived 10 lifetimes of experience you know like i don't know if you feel that but but this guy man he's like one of those guys that if i was sitting at a party and i could tell some cool story he could probably tell a story that was like 10 times cooler than the one because i mean he's been in front of like He's been like in South Sudan, where there have been 13-year-old militant rebels holding AK-47s at his head and stuff like that. Like, just crazy stories that this guy has. So, so yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it, it's and it's fun. And so that's fortunately for for me, my team and I, we had been working on this this uh, Franklin speaking property, and we're able to launch it in time when I mean, because this actually, what you see behind me here is this is uh, this is not my real furniture. This is part of my studio set. My yeah. Bloodsport poster, which I attribute, uh, I attribute the Bloodsport probably to one of the few uh, reasons why I actually ended up getting into a mixed martial arts career because that movie came out when I was a kid, and I I've literally seen this movie more than a hundred times. So this is just part of a part of the set, and I'm I'm actually sitting in my my podcast set right now.
0: Well, tell me you uh, got that thing signed by Jason. No, I don't. I've,
1: yeah, I've never met him actually. You uh, get that thing but started. I will I will say this, I have met the real Frank Dukes who was oh, the character. Really? He yeah. yeah. I read
0: his book or, or read a book about Frank Dukes.
1: Yeah, I I, I was What do you um, think about was... him?
0: There's so much controversy of like him being real and not real. What do you think? Yeah, I, I he's not real. Yeah. Like, he, I, he showed up
1: different. he he showed up to one of my seminars and I this I literally like he would, he, he wouldn't shut up. And uh and I and like i was taught he was talking to me about like i don't know what i was teaching i was teaching some stand-up stuff that day some sort of combination or whatever yeah. and you know i looked at him i'm like you know at first i was super excited i'm like oh my gosh this is frank dukes like you know yeah. and uh and then he was he was talking about how he teaches like these energy things and this in, in exchange and i straight up like after he wouldn't quit talking i was like people actually pay for that like you know people yeah. pay you for this this information and um and yeah i just unfortunately man and i just looked at him and i was like bro you have seriously just ruined my childhood
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah so um and for those
0: for so, those of you that are lost right now frank dukes is like the 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 well i'm I, he is the man that that the Bloodsport movie was based on even though he really yeah. wasn't the man Bloodsport was based on if that makes if that makes sense yeah. you know what i mean his yeah. his, his his like uh yeah his 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 legend was what they uh what they based the movie on but as you as you've seen since the movie all the interviews and the and the experts that are dialing in and researching him he didn't turn out to be quite the bottom brick breaker that uh yeah. john well, Claude was he, <laughs> with yeah, his which, which is another another scene yeah the democ it's another scene yeah, in Denmark. the movie listen I, I've,
1: I've i've literally seen this movie more than a hundred times and you, you,
0: kickboxer bloodsport those are those are my jams yeah.
1: at one point in time i had this movie I'm the whole movie transcript, front to back memorized. I could, you could, we could sit there during the movie, and I could just do every single line front to back on the movie because that's how many times I saw it as a kid. So you know, between that and my dad taking me to some uh, some boxing con uh, contests when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty much what got me into uh, martial arts. You know, my dad, when when I told him I wanted to quit quit my job teaching, you know, back to that story, he's, he's looking at me like, why the heck would you throw this away? I'm like, I don't know, Dad. I mean, remember all those nights we went to those local boxing contests and I'm, you know, sitting on those metal folding chairs falling asleep at midnight while we're watching all these guys drinking and boxing at the same time? Like, why do you think I got into this sport, yeah. you know? So uh, so yeah, so anyway, yeah, this is, this is part of my set and, and whatnot.
0: That's cool, man. And, and I gotta ask you, so, um, you know, with, with this UFC 249 happening, all, all three of these events happening with, with you know, p- pursuing uh, the live events with the pandemic going on, um, you know, I... I've been curious about what that does to sports, what that does to other fighting organizations in general. Like it, it was it a, do you think it was a good move? Do you think it was the right thing? And what is, what is one going to do if you can talk about it? Like, are they planning on doing maybe similar things to get some fights going or are they going to wait it out? Or what, what, what's the plans that you can actually speak about?
1: Well, okay. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I gotta be careful about how political. Yeah. I, I don't want to get you in trouble. Or and anything, not, yeah, 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 not, not even in the MMA world. It's just, Everything that's gone on with this virus, I don't, I get it. There's a virus. Yeah. And I get it that the virus can kill people. But at the end of the day, it's it's a virus. And I don't know. I just don't agree with this whole quarantine system right. the way that they're doing. Like, really, what we're doing here right now is we are suppressing our immune systems terribly. Absolutely. Uh, the amount of sunlight that you're exposed to, because uh, I'm, I'm quarantined and I'm in. So here in Singapore right now in the, the lockdown, which they, they call it a circuit breaker, I guess because it sounds better uh, if you're not registered at an address, you're not supposed to be there. So I'm um, since I'm oh, wow. I live here by myself. So no, I'm not allowed to have guests over. I'm not allowed to go to another address and I can I can leave the house. I can go exercise. Um, so, you know, like I didn't this morning, but yesterday morning I went and ran my 5K and I, I do that now because it just gets me out of the house. Like I go run, I go run a 5K and spend some time cooling down, and I get 30, 45 minutes out in the sunlight, you know, and then and it, it gets me out of the house. And pretty much, other than that, the only thing I can do is go get my groceries because there's nothing else really essential for me to leave my apartment for. Uh, so I've been in isolation, but I mean, the reality is is that I mean, you study the immune system and the way the immune system works is by exposing it to germs, and then it builds up the strength. And you know, every, every kid in America studied like all the, uh, explorers that came to the Americas and they, you know, all the Spanish, uh, conquistadors that interacted with like the Aztecs and Incas, they ended up killing off those populations because they had, they had diseases and stuff that, uh, or viruses, bacterias that they, those Indian tribes hadn't been exposed to. Right. So essentially that's kind of what we're doing to our immune systems right now. So, you know, I, I, I get it. I just, you know, I, I know something needs to be done, but the, at the level that they did this with this, uh, this global shutdown. I'm just sitting here scratching my head. And, yeah. you know, of course, for those of you like you and I living on this side of the planet, I've been to countries like India and or Pakistan or, or I mean, even Malaysia or Thailand where there's really some really, really poor people right. and I, I, I believe that the fallout from this, this global shutdown on the economy is going to be way worse than what the disease ever could have done. But, you know, this is me just throwing my two cents in and there'll be some listeners. I'll get some haters on that anyway, but there's, there's no, no, no great, no great solution to this thing. Obviously, Um, you know, as, as for the, the events, this is what, this is where my mind goes, right? I mean, there's so many, When I go outside to go grocery shopping, like yesterday I saw this woman grocery shopping and we have to wear masks outside. It's mandatory. And I heard you saying in in Thailand, now you get a $600 fine for it if you're not wearing one. The the, the nice thing is here, if I go for a jog, if I'm exercising, I don't have to wear a mask, which is great because I, you know, it's so hot and humid down here. (laughs) I'm not not sure how well I would do with a mask on. But if I go to a grocery store, I have to wear a mask. And I saw this woman yesterday wearing these plastic gloves and I, and i sit and i watch these people and i think you cannot decontaminate a, a public environment it's impossible, yeah, it's impossible. and sure. any thought of you being able to do that the mask doesn't protect you it protects everybody else if, if you're confused about that then you know sorry about your luck but um you know you can't decontaminate the entire public environment like you can't decontaminate it just, it's impossible. If I pick up an orange and decide I don't want that orange and put it back and somebody else subsequently picks that up. Well, unless they actually go home and really sanitize that orange and sanitize that box of cereal and everything they're bringing contaminated units into their house. And so it's just, It's impossible to do and I don't know how the world will ever get back to normal with that kind of mentality because at some point in time They're gonna for example open up restaurants. They're starting to do that in the US But they're gonna they're gonna implement these extreme social distancing measures. How are you going to justify that? For example on an airplane?
0: Yeah.
1: you know, even if you eliminate the middle seat, it's not proper social distancing I sit on airplanes all the time the guy is in front of me is like this far away from my face, you know, it's not it, it plus your, you know, this the air, it's, it's a closed loop system and you can talk about air filters and sanitation and wearing masks and all that kind of stuff. But it's just there's going to be some inconsistencies and uh, and you can't you can't do it. So at some point in time, my belief is that you are just going to have to get to the point where it's like we live in a world with this virus and we're going to have to deal with it. And some people are at risk. And if you're at risk, you need to take some precautions. Maybe don't go to professional baseball games or basketball games or MMA competitions or whatever it is So with that being said, you know, it's like did the UFC make the right decision? I mean all this stuff comes down to can you actually implement the proper safety protocols and Really, I don't think that you can but I don't think that we're ever really going to be able to every every Safety protocol that we ever implement is just gonna be well. This is the best we can do. We're doing the best thing that we can do
0: In the flat so, roof.
1: Yeah, exactly And so did they do the wrong thing? Eh, No, not necessarily. I mean the difference for us is that we're in a different country. And obviously on on this side of the world, like the timeline that we're on with Singapore and a lot of countries over here is that things haven't started at opening back up yet. And so we're still at a point where we're restricted by uh, legislation essentially. And so, yeah, you know, we obviously internally within the company, we're very proactive about what we're going to be able to do and safety measures that we can take, you know, as far as like temperature screenings and all these kind of typical things that you would do. But, yeah, as soon as as soon as we have a window of opportunity there, we're going to be we'll, we'll seize it for sure. You know, it's just that the U.S. is ahead of us on that curve right now
0: which is absolutely mind blowing considering there's, you know, 1.5 million cases in the US or were, there's over a million active cases and there's 91,000 deaths in America. Yeah. And in Singapore where you're locked down and can't even leave your home, there was 28,000 cases and 22 deaths on, on the paper, on, on, on the stats. That's crazy, yeah. only 22 people died and you're in complete lockdown. Like here here yeah. in Thailand, uh, we, you know, we had a low number as well. And we just got out of lockdown, so we had the malls open. Yes, I went to the mall yesterday. Um, you know, restaurants are open, the stores are open, and they're telling me my gym is going to actually open, and full Muay Thai gyms by June fifteenth. It's crazy. Oh, man. nice. Or nice. we have the ability to whether we do or not. Um, and then America, you know, they're on their thing, so it's like. But I'm with you, man. So You're not going to get heat for that because I've been changing. I mean, I've, I've been kind of going through this series, changing my my views by listening and researching new uh, new data and like. I'm with you, man. Like you can't, you can't end this by hiding from it and quarantining. You can flatten the curve, but that's it. Um, and I don't think we should wait because if we wait until the vaccine or the, the cure, we're going to die financially for everybody. So yeah. it's like, it's like the situation is this and, and I'll say this, um, you know, like you said, it's just a bad, f- well, not that you said it, but it is a bad flu. So every flu is a virus. Uh, Your immune system is designed to beat viruses and it does it every, every, all the time. That's how you get over flus. Um, And we've already proven, this is factual. We've proven that the the human immune system beats this actual coronavirus because first of all, there's so many people that are asymptomatic. I think it's like almost like 80%, like a super high number. And there's so many people that got the coronavirus and healed on their own. Um, they got a little sick and healed on their own. That's the immune system working. Why would yeah, we they- not just let that happen? Protect the people that have pre-existing conditions and, exactly. and and that are old. Put them in quarantine. They have to sit out. You know the weak, the weaker, older, pre-existing condition people and people like us should have that choice. I mean, we can go and and take a risk on catching diseases in other areas and and be free to do so. But in this situation, we have to stay at our house. Versus going out there and taking our chances of catching it, and either being asymptomatic, uh, maybe having to take some medicine, maybe having to go to the hospital, and at worst case we make a bad judgment call if we have cancer or we have a, a bad you know respiratory situation, and we and we take a risk and we do end up dying. But I think that should be our choice, you know, and I think yeah, we should the, be able I mean, to get out there and do it and at the then end build of the day, that the,
1: immune. The choice of your life is in your hands, at least, right? Should be, should because. Be. Because I believe – for me, I believe that I would 100% most likely be asymptomatic. And worst case scenario, I would probably get sick uh, for a week just like it is – Like any other flu. flu. Yeah, and and I would – and I would be miserable. Um, And so for for that, like you – as you're saying, I would be me personally. I'd be really willing, willing to roll the dice. You know, yeah. I'm like, well, let, let me do my thing. Let my immune system. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on my immune system. Yeah. And I'm gonna continue going outside and doing the things that I need to do to uh, to build my immune system. So you know, when I'm outside now, I don't. I make sure I touch as many door handles as I can. Like I'm I'm, I'm doing a <laughs> immunity exercise. You know, it's like everything else. Like if if I'm not if I'm not doing my if I'm not lifting weights, my muscles are gonna get weak. And if I'm not exercising my immune system, it's gonna get weak. I will say. This the the one place where I am a bit concerned is like my mom for example. My mom is a little she's a little overweight. She's got some respiratory issues. She's got some sugar issues. She has all those kind of issues that can be problematic for somebody like her. You know, I mean, she is one of the people that is that is at risk. Um, But you know, going back to so for me, it's like well now I got to be careful because the next time I fly into the states. If I'm not tested, how do I know that I'm not asymptomatic and that I wouldn't pass that off to my mom? And so I always run that risk. But in the general public, for example, like you said, uh, yeah, I, I believe we we should just be doing our own thing and let everybody, you know, handle it. Because at this point in time, you can look at the data. Like the data just doesn't support the number the number of deaths that they thought that this thing was going to produce. Right. And you can you can say, well, it did that because we quarantined. I don't know. And I think what's going to end up happening is because I think the thing to focus on is people focus on the one stat people focus on is the number of cases. Oh, there's this many cases. It's like focus on the deaths. Like we don't you know, people talk. Nobody ever talks about how many cases of flu we had in a year. Right. Because everybody gets it. Even people that have had the the flu vaccine get the flu. And so, you know, focus on the number of deaths uh, and, and and how many people are dying and stuff like that. But. Yeah, man, I'm just, um, you know, I am I would roll the dice with my own immune system and uh, and play the game that way. I and, you know, this is a virus, but uh, I, I don't buy into the hype. And even at this point in time, like I said, the data doesn't support itself. And you can look at how e- even organizations like the WHO have uh, kind of wrong, kind of. Yeah, they, they shifted their direction like many times. Well, yeah, you know, so. I and, the thing, know,
0: and, and they're controlling it. I mean, YouTube's taking videos down, um, you know, so so they're controlling your freedom of speech when you talk about COVID-19. Yeah. Um, that, that's crazy. This, this is why I think, unfortunately, in a worst-case scenario, but I, I think and I'm, and I'm fearful that there's an agenda attached to this and then what this agenda is and how are we going to get rid of that from the powers that be that are making us do these things. Um, and, and that's because social media um, – restrictions. That's because of uh, the stats are like you can go to any stat page on the internet and you can find every stat about all this stuff. But the one stat you can't find, or it's very hard to find is the age of the people that are dying and their pre existing conditions. And the reason you're not finding that stat is because it's all like cancer, like severe flu. You know, there was a guy that got hit by a car and it was a Coronavirus death because he had Coronavirus and they said he couldn't recover because uh you know he had the coronavirus like there's there's so many things being attached and and and, and being yeah. blamed on coronavirus that isn't and so that stat's hard to find and for all these reasons and why why this is so hard to handle I, I i feel this agenda attached and like you said for your your mom my mom had a stroke as well she's weak and i think that you know i don't see why in my mind this works that we can do what we want and take our chances like for instance my mother and the people that have pre-existing conditions and and even ones that are just semi they can stay in quarantine and we we keep them protected and then we just wait out until we get enough testing like they're they're making more and more tests every day you know and the the testing is becoming faster almost they're going to have probably immediate results soon with these tests and then eventually we'll get the test and then we can test ourselves you can test yourself and then go see your mom you know what i mean like and then we can start interacting again and then by then the vaccine comes comes and the cure comes and everyone's happy and in the meantime we're out there working making a living keeping our businesses afloat you know putting on shows having fights doing things and it's just like I I just don't understand why that doesn't work I can't I can't find anything to support why that shouldn't work
1: yeah when you start talking about agendas that are attached to things you gotta be careful because then we're gonna go down this rabbit hole of conspiracy theories which, but it is, uh, man. Yeah, I, I, I can I can talk about that kind of stuff all day, but I'll I'll say this. You know, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist, but I think for something like this you know, because I, you can hear any kind of conspiracy theory. Oh, you know, this was as a bioweapon made in the lab and, you know, China released it, or it was leaked from the lab in Harvard back to the Chinese national, yeah, or yeah. I've heard the 5G theory, but, and, you know, forget about all those kinds of theories. I think at, at this point in time, like I'm, I'm just more of an opportunity theorist kind of guy. It's like, here's a situation that's presented itself. And, and there's some people out there. It's like, how can How can you, you know, how can I create an opportunity out of this? Because there will be some, you know, it's, this is destroying the economy, but there will be people, there will be businesses that are going to make, ton of Absolutely. money off for sure and for sure. and and if and if 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 you're one of the people in the world that is naive enough to think that there's not some sort of agenda behind that 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 you know perhaps yep. the data could be encouraged to be inflated or whatever you know or this thing could be it could be encouraged to extend to this quarantine longer than needed then it's like mm, i don't know so yeah the, the, it exists the, you know these these things exist so i don't know i don't know I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a believer in any one particular conspiracy here, but you know, everybody, everybody has their agenda, you know, and it's, even small businesses, it's like, okay. We can't have, you know, we can't have classes like AKA can't have classes now. So in your mind, you're like, how can I take, how can I take advantage of this situation? Well, let me create some online classes and maybe when this is all over with and you can, for example, make those online classes open to everybody so that somebody who wasn't coming to AKA would now be like, oh, you know what? I want to try that school when things open back up and maybe by you taking advantage or using that as an opportunity becomes beneficial to you you know i mean it's like this is just the way that the human mind thinks but when you put it on a grandiose scale of something major you know something much bigger than people like oh that's crazy you know don't, that would never happen like no it happens so i don't know but in the meantime you know the entire human race has pretty much kind of fallen in line and, and followed the marching orders
0: yeah, it's hard for me to answer this question just because I'm I've always been kind of OCD, I think which started from my fight camps trying to not get sick. I'm not like OCD with like numbers. And like shutting the door six times and like putting everything in order but i am ocd about being super clean not getting sick you know if i shake people's hands i remember like to wash my hands like you know when i can um and i think that stems from my fight camps you know not not wanting to get sick during fight camps and definitely not wanting to get sick during fight week you know like so i think years and years of that has made me that way so it's hard for me to answer this question but for you obviously we're going to start training again we're going to start being you know back you know more close and intimate with our friends and, and people that we train with and stuff. But do you think this is going to change the way we are with strangers as far as like the handshakes and the hugs and the, and, and the situation like airports being, everyone's going to be wearing masks from now on, not, not necessarily because of the coronavirus cause that's going to end obviously, but maybe for the next thing or just for being sick. Do, do you think this is going to change things probably I, forever?
1: I, I think so. I think a little bit because, um, I mean, everybody's different. Uh, let me just say this. I, I, I did an interview recently, and they in the interview they asked me. They said, "What will you miss the most about the the old world, like the pre-COVID world?" Is what they said. Right. Right. And and this and my this was my answer. I said, "I'm going to miss kids playing in the dirt without fear of infection. I'm going to miss yeah. uh, being able to give somebody a handshake without them." Uh, looking at me like i'm the dirtiest person in the world or possibly patient zero you know i'm gonna miss um, you know people giving each other hugs and stuff like that and that's this is unfortunately now the world we live in some people are so there's gonna be there's gonna be people that just don't care like me I, as soon as i get as soon as this quarantine's lifted and i go to meet somebody i to be like hey man what's going on high- five and hugging same crap i always do i'll be myself but there's gonna be there's gonna come a day where i And it's going to be soon where I go to shake somebody's hand and they're going to be like, "Mm, nah, I'm good. And look at me and I'm like, what? This was this was a sign of ultimate respect where like, you know, this is something my father taught me. Right. And so now I have to undo that, that way of thinking. And so there will be people like that. I have friends that I talk to that are scared to death to leave their house at this point in time. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, really? Like, really? Come on, man. Like, in my mind, I'm like you bought into this. And, uh, and, but yeah, so that's the thing. Some there, the, and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a virologist. I'm not an immunologist. Right. I'm not, I'm not the, these kind. I'm a, I'm a pretty smart guy and I, and I do a, a lot of fair and balanced reading to, to inform myself, but, um, yeah, there will be a, enough of a shift of, um, of the way of thinking that it will change. So do I believe that I, I believe that overwhelmingly, like the people that grapple in, Jiu-jitsu schools for example will probably won't be those kind of people. I mean you think about it Every time you get on a grappling mat, especially at a new place You're like there's got to be a piece of you That's kind of rolling the dice on whether or not they clean their mats properly because you could end up with staff or ringworm from somebody else This is just part of what we've always kind of had to deal with And so if you're that kind of person to begin with which is the reason why you and I are both like hey Let's just roll the dice with our immune systems here you know, because I, I, I know that anytime I go to a new, even even my own, if I go to the same ju- jiu-jitsu school over and over, that the chances of me getting a staph infection are real. I, I, I've had staff and I, many of my friends have had staff And so, but it never stopped me from grappling. So I don't yeah. think it's really going to, it's really going to change. I think where it will change things it, from an athletic perspective is in gyms with uh, things like, like um, fitness gyms. With treadmills because the whole the whole uh, like era of wiping down all your equipment and not just wiping your sweat off the equipment I I mean that's just a respectful thing to do but actually literally getting a sanitary wipe and decontaminating this thing it's like it's that's kind of almost part of the. Part of the norm now in a commercialized gym, and so I, those kind of people might get to a point where they're like, "That's not enough for me. I don't want to go to a gym like that anymore," uh, because they're your, you know, they're your fair weather fitness people or whatever. But no, I, I, I don't think I don't think the martial artists will be all affected that much.
0: Yeah, I agree with I'm,
1: you, man. I'm betting on their mentality. That's all. So yeah. I, bet, I, I bet many of them have a kind of similar mindset to me.
0: I see a lot of. I, you. I, go ahead.
1: I was going to say I just can't imagine me just any me or people that are minded like me just waking up one day and being like man i really love jujitsu and i'm a brown belt and i'm only six months away from getting my black belt but i just don't want a chance getting that virus so i'm done hey mike thanks for everything you did to me at, for me at aka man i appreciate it but i'm gonna have to quit now because it's i don't <laughs> yeah. i don't see it happening you know yeah
0: and the thing is with guys like us you know like i've been dodging you know, uh, staff and and all these things for years, and, and by by staying clean, by taking care of myself and being smart, and and I've been on I've been susceptible to staff and 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 sometimes with wrestlers, mat herpes and her face herpes, all this kind of shit, and I, and, I've, and I've avoided all that stuff because of just being clean, and and I think there's ways to do that, and I also have not lost face or face, sorry, I have not lost faith in the human body, the healthy human body. I, I <laughs> still I still think it's strong enough to battle this and and what the world has and i think the facts are supporting it which is the crazy thing i think the facts are supporting that the human body is beating this in most cases so you know i just you know i haven't lost faith in that and and i'm gonna you know continue on and i think some people will definitely change and it's a sad story you know it's a sad story when people start losing that because they're gonna it's gonna they're gonna change their lives and they're gonna change the whole world and 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 community and and behavior of people is going to change and like I remember a story with my with my uncle who's a firefighter since he was like 19 years old and he remembers the time when like he would show up at, at accidents and there'd be people on the road or whatever, cause they go to every accident, whether it's a fire or not. So it'd be like a car accident or something and people be on the road and they'll have like, they'll be bleeding everywhere and like, you know, all this stuff and they just jump on them with no gloves, no nothing. And they're like patching them up and saving their lives. And like, like nowadays yeah. you can't do that. You can't even help a, someone who's hurt if they're bleeding cause you're worried you're gonna catch a disease or something. Yeah. And I think this is kind of like another step in that direction, which is just kind of sad for humanity um, in general. So. I'm just going to keep like you, man, keep going with it and and letting my body do what it does. And if I get hit with something and it it makes me think differently, then that'll be my my awakening. But but I I still have faith in the human body right now, you know?
1: Look, two things I'll talk to you about. Number one, fear. You talk about fear. I don't – I'll say this and I don't mean it literally, but I have trouble understanding the concept of fear. There are people that I meet in this world that um, they, there's something like um, they'll have a fear that's so gripping, like a fear of heights. Like Jonathan, my co-host on One Warrior Series, he's he's afraid of heights, right. um, and I don't understand this fear of heights. And to to tell like to tell a story, we were we had uh, we did this um, hike in Cebu. Uh, in the Philippines at this place called Kawasan falls. If you've never been there, you should, you should check this hike out. It's a nice hike. It's a little commercialized at the end, but it's a cool, it's about a three, three hour hike and you hike through the series of waterfalls and the the waterfalls kind of progressively get higher as you go. And essentially you just, you can walk around the falls if you don't want to jump, but you can jump off of them. And I would say maybe the first fall is only, you know, uh, I don't know, three to five meter fall that you're just jumping off of or sliding down. And then it works its way up to 15 Mm -hmm. meters. So I'm standing at this last 15 meter um, fall and as I'm there, I I, I was like – I was thinking, man, I want to do – I want to do a backflip off this fall. And I hadn't done a backflip off of anything that high in my life or I hadn't done a backflip off of anything high in a long time. And I was standing there and I thought, "Mm, I don't know if I want to do this or not, not because I was afraid. But instead, in my mind, I'm doing this. I'm calculating the risk of if I do this, there's a high probability that I'm going to over rotate because I have not practiced this maneuver and I'm going to end up landing weird in this water and and injure myself. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, if that happens and there's a high probability it will happen at this height, how badly am I going to be injured? And so, I, you know, in, instead I'm like, calculate nah, this is not a smart thing to do, which fortunately I didn't do it because I was on a subsequent shoot sometime later at this uh, water area. And I, I did it from a jump that was um, probably closer to about eight meters. I was like, OK, let me try this backflip because if I land wrong here, it's going to suck. But yeah. I'll I'll still – I'll, I'll kind of walk it off like uh. – yeah. and sure enough, man, I jumped off that thing and hit that backflip, landed wrong because I over-rotated exactly because I didn't know how to – you know, I'm, I'm not a gymnast and, and yeah. so I need – and I hadn't done one in a long time. And as soon as I hit that water, I was like, oh, this sucks. And I was like, nope, I'm swimming right back around, going back up this thing and going to do this backflip off this thing again. And then the second time I nailed it and after that I did about – I did about, I don't know, five backflips just for fun and then I was sitting there thinking like, okay, now if I was back at Kawasan at that last fall of 15 meters, I would for sure do this this backflip off of here because now I know I'm good enough at the move. But there was no part of me that was like afraid, like have this paralyzing fear. I just knew – I 100 percent knew like, okay, if I do this, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to over-rotate and screw it up and if I do that, it's going to hurt and can I actually – You know, do I want to deal with this pain today? And I'm like, "Mm, no, today, not that level of pain. I'm good. And so it wasn't this kind of fear thing. It was just uh, it was more of a calculated risk. And for people who operate out of fear on something like this, it's just a lot of people, you, you know, you listen to what you're being told. And I get it that there's this source of information. But it's like, man, do some reading. Understand how, for example, understand how your immune system works, you know, on top of for me maintaining this really strict nutritional regimen. And it's not just like weighing out my food. I'm I'm making sure that I'm getting good vegetables and fruits throughout the day and and giving my body the nutrients that it needs to keep a strong immune system. But on top of it, I'll take some extra supplements. You know, I make sure that I make sure that I'm getting like ginger in my green drinks in the morning. I take oregano oil as an immunity booster and stuff like that on a daily basis. And so I do these things and, and I really do walk around with this not ignorant attitude, but this attitude of confidence. Like my immune system is in great shape. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about this BS. Like I'm not going to worry about it. It's in great shape, so I'm good to go. I'm not worried at all. Yeah. And uh, and maybe and maybe that's that's stupidity, but I've listened to enough doctors talk about this thing, uh, talk about the immune system, how it works, viruses. I've seen you know I've looked at the data in the you know the mortality rate on all this kind of stuff, and I'm just like no, I'm not buying it. If I was my mom and I had her her um, risk factors, then I would be second guessing myself, but I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't. So I'm just going to, I'm not operating by fear. People that operate out of fear and desperation, I feel sorry for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I agree with you. And thanks for the insight on, on uh, Singapore and and what's going on with you. I I like getting perspectives from different people from around the world right now, and this is going to be good to look back at, you know, and see, uh th- these conversations during this pandemic you know and and what we all thought what we all said and what ended up happening so i think it's very cool um going back to 1fc real fast what 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 are or who are some of the fighters coming up to look out for
1: i'll do well you know i mean listen if you're going to ask me about that kind of stuff then i'm going to go back to uh to to my roster of guys that have that i've pushed through tell me um, G- give me yeah, some names man, man. um you know, I tell you, I got uh, I got this Filipino guy out of um, uh, this guy out of uh, uh, Baguio. His name's Lito Adabong, and he came through the One Warrior series. Lito's system, from Okay, Thailand, bro. Yeah, so yeah, I know Lito. He's, dude, that kid, he's a stud, man. Like he's, he's
0: trained with us. He's he's fought here. Like I, I I love the guy.
1: Have you have you been on the mats with him? Yeah, I love. him. Yeah, I mind. mean, he's slick, slick, slick um and honestly it you know i look for him i look for him to have a belt around his waist one day for real uh i'm really excited about um this this kid i'm not even going to try to say his last name mongolian kid is named Shine. he came through uh warrior series and he's he's now won championship and i mean this kid he's maybe not the cleanest technique but man i mean if Mon- the mongolians overall like the, the Mongolians—it's—it's—it's it's, it's one of the coolest countries I've been to, and I have a deep, tremendous respect for that population of people because they have a country. The country of Mongolia only has three million people, like that's their entire population. Right. And in a country of three million people, that country has won twenty-six Olympic medals. Right. Twenty-four of those are in combative sports, boxing, judo, and wrestling. Wrestling. And yeah, and so they're just—they're a very like they're you know wrestling and and they they really. They really value these competitive sports. So, I mean, this guy, he's he knows how to scramble. He knows where to be, when to be. He does some things sometimes where I'm like, I don't think you're actually that technical. But he'll do things in matches where it was highly technical and he just – man, he hits like a hammer. I mean he just throws punches like a Mike Tyson. Everything is just – you know meant to really really hurt somebody so yeah. i'm uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what um what he does in uh, one championship cool. as well those are, those are probably the two prospects that come through the warrior series that i'm most hyped up about at this point in time
0: so you're having fun man you're enjoying this you're enjoying this Warrior series and doing doing this work i am
1: you know i mean to, you know full disclosure when you live this life of mma i'm not as excited as i used to be about watching matches anymore right it's yeah i mean you can only but working with seeing like young athletes who are really hungry and uh and working with them because i have this you know i have this kind of grassroots thing and um working where i you know i go in i teach seminars or you know grapple with the guys that i recruit and go to all these local gyms and i have a really good time man because it's at that level you know for me My personal journey was when I got involved in martial arts, it was just all passion, like something that I wanted to every day. There are very few people in this world that understand how to go in and systematically work at being better at something. You know, if you're a musician and you work on an instrument, if you're a martial artist, if you're whatever, it doesn't matter what, what whatever your skill is, whatever your craft is, but not there are very few people in the world that do this. And so initially for me, martial arts was all about just pursuing something that I truly enjoy doing and the, the pursuit of excellence on a daily basis, you know, and, and, and self-improvement, which is one of that's one of our, our, our company values, uh, you know, is, is a daily self-improvement. And this is something that I've lived my entire life and rewinding myself back to just that pure passion of martial arts and not the man I have to win this match because I have this sponsorship on the line or there's this title you know a possible title shot or contract renegotiation or I got to go do this PR thing like all that stuff when you get rid of all that and strip it back down to the bare essentials of what I what I truly started off doing in this sport that's what I love about it and that's what this that's what this this position in, in one championship working in, on the one more series running that project allows me to do man it's awesome yeah, so that being said, hey, why, how come I've not, how come I have not been to AKA Thailand? What's, what's, what's the deal with that? Cause man, I'm uh,
0: asking you that, that you should be asking yourself that question, man. I want to show you the gym. I want to show you the man. It's, it's like nothing else, man. You got to come out there and check it out. Uh, Victor was out there in the beginning where, when we were building it. And what I'm about to build next, bro, is going to blow your mind. Like it's, it's it's. we have a two-acre uh, property and we have AK Thailand there now with multiple buildings, 5,500 square foot open air Muay Thai area overlooking the jungle and the mountains. We have a restaurant full scale on-site, uh, on-site accommodations across the street there, a showroom with a 3,000 square foot, 3,500 square foot MMA training room, a weight room, 1,500 square foot airdyne, uh, training room upstairs. Like we got a lot of stuff there, man. And what we're building yeah. next is like just, just three-story ocean view just magical exclusive facility man i i, I have to tell you about it when you come but dude you are you are totally invited i would love to show you and give you a okay. tour and uh uh-huh. and have you come out and see it man show you phuket take you out in the boats go to the islands for sure absolutely
1: okay yeah because i don't i don't know when the next time we'll be in phuket because i was scheduled this year to go to I had a trip and a tryout set in Japan. I had a trip and a tryout set in Brazil, and then one in the States. We were actually going to go to the States and, and recruit for the first time in the US. Yeah. Um, I, ha- I have some athletes from the US, but most of my American athletes up until, well, the first year of my project, most of my American athletes like were expats training in places like Phuket or whatever. But now, um, we were scheduled to, I mean, I've, since then I've recruited some guys out of the US, but not actually traveled there. Right. For the for the the travel show and, and to hold a tryout. So those were my those were my first three trips that were scheduled this year, and it, all that stuff just kind of collapsed back at the beginning of March when when this stuff started to take off. So when travel gets gets back to normal, and obviously. We can all speculate, but we don't know between now and then. I, I'm assuming that I'll just kind of pick up with that flow. So I don't know when I'm when I'm coming back to Phuket next, at least for business. But whether I'm there for a personal trip or a business trip, I, the next time I'm there, I'm going to be reaching out to you personally. Like, all right, listen, we got to be at AKA now.
0: It's a one-hour fly for you. It's one hour. It's one but hour, you, man.
1: But, but you, you know how it goes, though, when you when you travel yeah, know, for a I living, know, know. you know it's like. I, I did the first year I did this this show. I took um, I, each trip that I do like for filming is about a ten day trip. Right. And in the first year that we were running the Warrior series, I did um, what did I do? Like uh, ten trips. Ten, 10, trips of wow. ten, 10, days each. And that's just for the warrior series. And then I also had like some, some, um, other things like, you know, miscellaneous things that one championship wanted me to do as well. So I had a couple other trips on top of that. And then the occasional trip back home to, to Ohio to handle things like, cause I still have my properties there yeah. and, and I have a restaurant in Kentucky that I own, which is just getting
0: you have hammered. A, you have a ranch right in Ohio. Like I remember back when I was talking to you when we were still fighting, you got a big ranch, didn't you? well i have a, you're, I have you're, a play, you're you're playing paintball and stuff i remember yeah
1: yeah the, the house isn't that big uh but I, it's like i have a small little ranch house that sits on a 13 acre property
0: yeah land you had a lot of land yeah
1: Yeah. So, and then, you know, I have uh, some other land as well. And then I have a restaurant there. So I, you know, I'm still tied. Like that's that to me, that's home. This is not living on this side of the planet. It's not a a permanent situation for me. Uh, and Singapore, obviously, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been here, but it's a very transient place. People just come here to work anyway. But yeah, yeah, I mean, when you mix all that travel, it's, it's, it's difficult. Even when you're only an hour, hour and a half away, it's like, yeah, I have this weekend free and I could bounce on a Thursday night and have to fly back on a Sunday. It's like, Oh gosh,
0: (laughs) yeah.
1: You know, <laughs> yeah. So for sure, man, I will, uh, you know, the next time I'm there, we will definitely uh, hook up, man.
0: Well, when you come to AK Thailand, man, I'll make it worth your while, man. We'll have a great time training. I'll show you Phuket. We'll go to the islands. I'll even teach you the escape for the, the, the banana split. Cause I saw, uh-huh. I saw, I saw your boy. I saw your boy putting you in a banana split uh, on on the internet when you're when you're is a war series guy when, when you're fighting yeah, in yeah. war series. Yeah, He's one. Of,
1: yeah, he's one of one of the uh, recruits I had for. You were uh, like, what?
0: I'm getting in a banana split. I'm flexible, man. So kill yeah. yourself, knock yourself out, buddy. <laughs>
1: that's that's my escape. It's like I'm just. Yeah. I don't have to worry about escaping. It's just maintain flexibility enough that they have to throw away the move. So so, so Ev- yeah. Evan
0: Showman is a friend of ours, a mutual friend, and and he's done a lot of work for me. Works with me now. He wanted me to ask you about the time. That you got mistaken for Forrest and you went with it. You got oh, some of that one story before I let you go. Okay, okay, okay.
1: So um, I don't remember why I was in Vegas, but I was there, and uh, and I was at the I was at the Rio. I was at the Voodoo Lounge in the, at the top of the Rio, yeah, yeah. Um, and I liked the Voodoo Lounge because it had this very chill vibe to it. You know, I'm not a big I'm, I never was a big clubby guy anyway. Right, right. But I got there, and there apparently that weekend there was like this. Um, a police and military convention or whatever and so we're in the rio and there's this group of just all these police officers from i you know all. i, I don't know if they were all from like one central area like a p- specific state or from a bunch of different states but suddenly I, I get mistaken for forest all the time It i don't know why i i, I mean i can kind <laughs> of maybe see a semblance you know a little resemblance there but you know, we're—he's physically a lot bigger than I am, and anyway, it happens. It's happened more times than I, you know, I can remember. And uh, so I'm at this Rio, and I'm hanging out with a group of my buddies, and this guy comes up to me, and you know, it always like, man, I'm a huge fan. I'm like, oh, thanks, you know, and like yeah. at first, it's like, that's cool, it's cool, it's cool. And it's one of those deals, like, man, can we get a photo together? And uh, and, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. And you're posing for the photo. And it's like, gosh, man. I love it when you fought Stefan, and I'm like, well, I, di- I didn't fight Stefan. Um, <laughs> you did, though, right? You fought Stefan.
0: Yeah, I did. Yeah,
1: it's cra- we crazy. Fought the-
0: all, we fought all different guys in the division. Yeah, but, I mean, <laughs> looking at
1: the the, the the size range of the guys that, that you fought, too, it's like, yeah, wow. Yeah, I
0: fought monsters, dude. <laughs> exactly, because Stefan
1: – you know, I spent time with Stefan on a, a military tour one time, and uh, he's a big guy also. But, yeah, and he's like, man – and I'm like, well, I didn't fight Stefan. I'm thinking, like, oh, well, at that point, he's just like uh, – you know, makes a mistake on my, you know, not everybody remembers yeah. my, I, I can barely <laughs> remember my, who I, who I competed against. Yeah. And so, so you take the photo and it's like, he's like, man, thanks a lot. I'm like, Hey man, anytime. He's like, yeah, thanks Forrest. I really appreciate it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, you're welcome, man. And so then you just let it go from there. And then, you know, of course that guy is going to tell his buddy like, man, Forrest Griffin's over there. Exactly. You gotta, you gotta get a photo. And, and so, so, you know, first I'm just like, I'm just going to go along with this thing and, 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 I mean, man, by the time it was done, I mean, I, I probably took pictures with, I don't know, 30 different police officers and it just wasn't stopping. Right. Like, you know, and finally, I just finally I looked at everybody and I said, listen, I said, I said, guys, I said, Forrest Griffin, don't take no pictures and Forrest Griffin. Don't do no autographs. I'm out like that. Nice. <laughs> and so then I saw <laughs> the next day I saw Forrest. I was sitting next to Forrest at the fight and I said, hey, buddy, just just so you know, I said, if um if you see anything online about you losing some fans at the Voodoo Lounge last night,
0: <laughs> that may have been me. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, thanks,
1: appreciate that. Who who so. have you been
0: mistaken for more, Forrest Griffin or Jim Carrey? Uh, whew. honestly, it's probably a toss-up. Jim yeah. Carrey was a big one back when, when in our career. A lot of people thought you looked like Jim Carrey. Oh, dude, I've I've, I've signed I've signed autographs where people. People
1: really just thought like I was just being – it, like, you be, uh, you explain to people, look, I'm not Jim Carrey. And they're like, whatever, Jim. Like whatever, Jim. Sure. I got and I'm like, no, I'm telling you. I'm not Jim. And and it's just easier to be like, you know what? Here, let me just uh, scribble this out. For There you go. Thank you. It's like thank you so much, Jim. I'm a huge fan. It's easier just to do <laughs> that than to try – than really for some of these people try to explain that I'm not that guy. And I've never met him. Like I've never even had – like, I, surely he has to know who I am. Like he has to know, like he's got to have a friend that's like, bro, have you ever watched MMA before? Because there's this fighter that's just straight up your doppelganger. He's, yeah. he's got to know, you know, yeah. my, my whole, my fight nickname was based off of him. So yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I was, honestly, it's about a toss up. Probably, probably Jim Carrey a bit more often because uh, he's more famous, you know, more people know him. Yeah, he's of more course. of a household. than And oddly enough, uh, you know, I actually get mistaken for myself quite frequently. I mean, like to the point where people walk up and I I have this. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I'll have people that will walk up to me and be like, man, dude, you uh,
0: look a lot like
1: Franklin. And I'm like, you know what? It's crazy. I've been told that my whole life.
0: (laughs) I always want to say that. I always want to say that. I'm too nice. Yeah, no, I I, I
1: can't. can't. But I'll say after.
0: Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. After the Ultimate Fighter, man, like we got, you know, like you said, the fame and we, we got super famous, super fast, like as far as like in this demographic, you know, and I, I would thank God for like Goldberg and, and Rogan think Goldberg actually coined it um nobody could say my last name so i would get those guys coming up to me and they're like oh man dude i'm your biggest fan oh can you sign this autograph for me mike swack like they couldn't say swick it was swack and sw- swook and it was like they could not say swick the best thing that ever happened at the beginning of my career in the ufc was mike goldberg coining quick swick because it rhymed and from wow. that point on they never missed it you know what i mean like they, yeah. then, then they at least got the name correct. But like before that, it was like I'm like you're my biggest fan, and you don't know my last name. Exactly. exactly. And then like go the, they go to the next guy Koscheck. Oh Kaushik, I'm your biggest fan. And then they go to yeah. like Diego Diego, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> it's like okay, two two <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy man.
1: Uh, I like I like uh, when when I meet people and I especially in an autograph line and um you know somebody's like man I'm, I'm, a huge, I'm a huge fan huge fan. I'm like oh thanks. It's like you you're talking. And it's like so. Who's your favorite fighter? And, you know, if it was me and I was talking, I might be like, if you know, I might be like, well, obviously, Rich Franklin, you know, like I would yeah. say you are. But it's like, you know, I, I really like I really like this guy or uh, especially people like, you know, my, my favorite fighters, Anderson Silva. I'm like, thanks, man. Appreciate yeah, that. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but you know what? I, I, I the do. The openly I honest it. fans. Yeah, I do. I honestly, I <laughs> Br- do. Brutally like, honest yeah. fans. Yeah, it's like, I'm like yeah, I don't <laughs> care. So,
0: uh, no, it's funny, so man. funny, man. That's so funny, man. Well, listen, Dude. man. I, I've took up a lot of your time, man. We're we're an hour and forty five minutes. I appreciate so much uh, talking to you, catching up with you, man. Like, we've been through it all since a since a long time. We were like the OGs, man. We we were there kind of in the beginning of this wave, and and you know we our careers were very close together, and uh, you had so much success. Uh, hats off to you man for for your championship hats off multiple time uh, hats off for the hall of fame and and i greatly appreciate you you sitting here talking to me and, and going over uh catching up and going over the quarantine yeah, and and telling these fun stories man i think people are really going to dig it so
1: well you know what when you when uh because evan was the one that reached out to me about coming on and then when you you sent me that text when evan said something my initial thought was like i can't be on mike's podcast i haven't talked to him in a while anyway this would just be a good chance for us to catch up you know so so uh, for me it was just catching up with an old friend and, and, and having a good time so appreciate appreciate you having me on it's uh cool. it's awesome awesome talking about the the old stuff because you know honestly I, I really believe that we were the ones that built the modern house of mma yeah you we know? are sure. the foundation of it yeah so i
0: agree with you man yeah. Well, thanks, man, and, and, and good luck with everything with 1FC and, and Warrior Series, and I'll stay in touch with you, and whenever you can, book that trip, man. Come down to Phuket, come to AK Thailand, man. I'll show you a good time, show you the gym, and uh, I think you'll you'll dig it. Awesome. I'm on it. All right, bro. Thank you so much. Cool. Yeah, take care, bud. All right, well, there you have it, Rich Ace Franklin. Uh, what a great conversation. It's been a long time since I got to talk to him. I've been wondering what he's been up to as far as outside of what I see on the internet. Uh, I knew he was doing the Warriors series. I knew he was the vice president of one FC and one championship. Um, You know, I I see him training and and traveling the world and stuff, but it was great rehashing some of these stories that that we had during our career. And uh, I hope you guys took from it. I hope you guys enjoyed sitting in on our conversation and, uh, and kind of just reminiscing about the past, the good old days of uh, MMA as it was starting to blow up. So, Anyway, hope you enjoyed it. If if you're watching on YouTube, please leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Um, subscribe, please. Obviously, we want you to subscribe so you can see when the new videos are coming out. We're doing these every few days. Um, we're going to continue doing them as often as we have been. Um, if you're on the audio platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, subscribe to us there as well. And check out the YouTube. It's always better to watch us interact. You know, we we do funny things and we laugh and make face gestures and. And sometimes that's interesting. So anyway, thank you guys for watching and listening. And I'll see you next time.